Hi everybody, Michael Davis here. Welcome to Bone to Pick, and I am super excited to, to have an opportunity to sit down uh, this month with our, our Artist of the Month for March, the great Steve Davis. Uh, thank you, Steve, for allowing us into your beautiful home today. So we're coming to you from Stamford, Connecticut, where Steve resides. Um, as all of us know, Steve is an internationally renowned and critically acclaimed jazz trombonist and composer. Uh, he has performed and recorded and toured with, uh, with a who's who of the jazz world. Uh, including lengthy associations with Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, Jackie McLean, Chick Corea, who we just recorded a brand new CD, the Cooperative Sextet, One for All. Uh, also worked with Freddie Hubbard, Jimmy Heath, the Dizzy Gillespie All-Star Big Band, Christian McBride Big Band, uh, Cedar Walton, Ron Carter Big Band. Uh, the list goes on and on, and we will cover a lot of these names. So looking forward to this. Uh, he's been on the faculty at the Hart School in Hartford, Connecticut since 1991, uh, soon to release his 20th CD thereabouts. I lost track trying to add them all up uh, as a leader. Uh, he's also the, uh, the proud dad of a, a young, outstanding guitar player, his son, Tony Davis. Uh, he, ha having followed them myself, he's appeared on virtually every major jazz poll uh, over the last two decades. Um, I've been a huge fan of his ever since I heard him the, the very first time years and years and years ago, and I'm uh, honored that he was willing to play on my Absolute Trombone 2 CD, came in and played a gorgeous solo. Um, and I'm also honored that uh, I get to sit down and talk uh, with him today about his extraordinary career and amazing life in music. So, Steve, thank you so much for carving Michael, out some time th for us. Thank you, and I know I'm we've been, so glad you're here. We've been talking about it for a couple years now, and yeah. it's, it's, I'm excited that it's uh, here today. So we finally got there. Let's, yeah. uh, let's talk about, and we were talking about it before we started, let's talk about growing up in Binghamton. I know you came from musical household and also such a fruitful period for young musicians there. The, the great Tony Cadlick, arguably one of the great trumpet players anywhere in the world. You guys grew up together. Yeah. Tell us about that, that time in your early life. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Binghamton was a, a lovely place to grow up and, and spend, spend your childhood. And, and um, I first met Tony Cadlick uh, on the Little League field uh, at Recreation Park on the west side of Binghamton. And by the way, the, the great uh, bassist Slam Stewart lived in his last 20 years of his life in, in Binghamton with his, life, with his right? wife, uh, wow. Claire. So his house, 80 Chestnut Street, was kind of beyond the right field wall, you know, across the park. Wow, that's um, amazing. Yeah, and, um, but Tony Cadlick was the kind of short center fielder who, who robbed our slugger, Eddie Westbrook, uh, it, to, to end a game, and we thought, you know, who, who, who's that Cadillac guy? <laughs> I had no idea he was, you know, such a great musician. So we wound up uh, playing uh, in the stage band together in junior high school, high school. Uh, Dina DeRose, the great singer and, and um, vocalist, gr grew up there. John Hollenbeck, oh, wow. drummer okay. and mm -hmm. composer and uh, band leader. Um, Chris Jensen, great tenor sax player. Um, uh, Tom Dempsey, a fine guitarist, Tony Cadlick, and myself, and we just had a slew of musicians uh, yeah. to, to, to grow to grow up with all of them is, is really uh, 
great source of pride. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I remember Tony telling me about, was it your dad's record collection or your yeah. grandfather's? He would say, yeah, my I'd dad. go over to Steve's house and we'd listen to all these records and introduce me to all this music. And oh, everything. yeah, yeah. My, it was an awesome. My parents' living room was like jam session headquarters. And, <laughs> and uh, there was a little club in, in town called the Music Box. And so our first real gigs were on Wednesday nights. I think we made 10 bucks a piece or something. And you know, we got to play and we got money. You know, <laughs> and uh, but it, it was it was great. Um, the the school district was very uh, supportive of, of the young musicians. Uh, uh, the Binghamton Youth Symphony mm-hmm. was was a great experience. Um, all of that was just wonderful. That's awesome. Well, let's uh, go forward a little bit. You've had such a long association with Hart. I'd kind of like to break it up into two. Two periods, uh, you know, certainly you've been teaching there for a number of years, but you were there as a student. Maybe talk yeah. about those years, and you started that that um, that longtime association with Jackie McLean, very important, I'm sure, and maybe you could talk about how that relationship evolved and what it was like going to Hart uh, as a student back then. Yeah, so I, I got to Hartford uh, to attend Hart in 1985, met the great uh, Professor Jackie McLean, it, it it changed my life really uh, in in so many ways, and um, you know he he mentored uh, generations of of young musicians. Um, it, it's I don't know it's hard to put into words really, but I I met my future wife there, my my first wife Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, I, she was a, a piano major, classical major, and then she switched to jazz when she heard Jackie McLean play and was just around the. The uh, the scene, you know, and and uh, she next thing she knew she was playing Bud Powell solos, and he was very encouraging to her. And um, I, I could just go on and on about all the great musicians uh, who were at the school. Um, Antoine Roney mm-hmm. Wallace's mm-hmm. brother was was a few years ahead of me, and um, it, it was a very inspiring time. Um, I met the bassist Nat Reeves, who. Uh, to this day, uh, continues to teach there and has been my friend and colleague for 30 years. But yeah. he, he was one of my teachers. Um, so uh, the experience was incredible. Um, you know, Jackie provided such a link to the history of, of the music. I mean, he grew up learning to play from Bud Powell and Charlie Parker and Monk and Mingus and Art Blakey and Miles Davis and so he really he he loved to share those stories with us and just kind of give it to us give us the essence mm-hmm. um, not not just the technical side but um, the sort of s- social co- context and historical context and just incredible yeah I can't I can't even imagine I mean just having a resource like that that was part of the music part of the creation of the music yeah I mean, it's just incredible yeah, you know? yeah. and so we, we try to perpetuate that uh, um, Jackie's son uh, Renee McLean is also on faculty at, at the school our, our chair is uh, uh, Javon Jackson who came on in more recent years but he's mm-hmm. very much cut from the same cloth uh, in terms of being connected to the roots of, of the music and the history and um, and Nat Reeves as I mentioned and uh, it's it's a great department to be a yeah. part of for many years and and so many alumni uh Jimmy Green, Wayne Escoffrey, Desron Douglas, James Burton mm, was one right, of my right, students. Right. Wow, wow. Yeah, the okay. trombonist, uh young drummer Jonathan Barber, Josh Bruno, great young trumpet player. Uh 
I, you know, there's so many, to, there are too many to name. And, but, and I'm yeah. sure the list is going to continue with uh, oh, a yeah. faculty like that. Yeah. There's some youngins up there right now. There's a young alto player, a young lady named Sarah Hanahan. Okay. Get ready. She's, she's, yeah. she's got the fire. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, let's, one of my favorite things that I saw, we were talking about it before we started, is uh, you playing with Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. I just think that's so cool. And uh, and you were kind enough to share some of the, the experiences. But uh, tell us about what that was like. I know I know you said you joined him in December of 1989 and, and stayed through uh, till Art's passing. Yeah. Um, wh- what was that experience like? Wanted oh, to get... wow. Well, y- yet another way that, that Jackie McLean uh, changed my life when I was a student still, the year before that, he he uh, had me sit in his office one day. He got on the phone, the good old-fashioned landline, you know, <laughs> no cell phones back then. And he called Art Blakey, and I heard Art's voice, hello, you know, and Jackie played with him in the 50s. I mean, he was one of the original jazz messengers. So they had this quick conversation, and he basically called him to tell him, I've got a little guy up here. This is 1988. And he said, I got a little trombone player named Steve Davis. He, he can play art, you know, if, if, if you need somebody. And, and he said, okay, well, tell him to come down and sit in when he, when he moves to New York. And so I was never in the same room as the two of them, but he recommended me. So when I finally did go to sit in with all the scores of other horn players and <laughs> Art Blake, he said, oh, yeah, so, so that's you, Jackie's boy. <laughs> and that, that was how I... Even was anybody, you know, to 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 have the, and it really it just gave me um, inspiration and, and gave me enough confidence or nerve, I guess, to even try to mm. to just be around. So when the time came, uh, Art, you know, called uh, called Jackie McLean looking for me the day after Christmas, and so I get a phone call up in Binghamton. I had gone home with Tony Cadlick, in fact, okay. for like two days. I had been at Sweet Basil hanging around and. You know, had been listening to the repertoire. So Jackie McLean calls. My mother says, Stephen, it's, it's, it's Professor McLean. Now, I'm, I'm out of school. I'm, I'm 22 years old, but he was still Professor McLean. <laughs> and he gets on the phone. He says, son, you need to call Buhana. I'm going to give you the number. Call him right now. He's looking for you. So 212. So I call. About five different people pass the phone around. And finally, I heard, hello. And I said, uh, <laughs> Hello, uh, Gulp, you know, Mr. Blakey, my name is Steve Davis. I play trombone. You know, I don't know if you remember me. He said, oh, yeah, Jackie's boy. Well, I'm going to need you down the club tonight, Steve. And this is 3 o'clock in the afternoon in Binghamton, New York, which is three hours up through the Catskills. And and I said, yes, of course, I'll be there. So we had a brief conversation. It was surreal. So I hung up the phone, called up my friend Tony Cadillac and said, Tony, string of expletives you gotta pick me up <laughs> and tony tony's holy you know I, I'll, I'll be there in a half an hour god bless him he dropped everything because we were going to go back the next day back to the city so tony cadler got me to that gig wow and awesome. yeah and, and no, no rehearsal no charts no music stands that you never use music stands with our blakey i mean you, you just either knew the music and what you didn't know you figured out in a hurry. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or lay out, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um yeah, an incredible experience. Wow. That, that's amazing. Would yeah. you mind sharing your the story about Art's uh, his uh, philosophy on having a new person join the band? I I love oh, that story. Well, yeah, as you know, our colleague and the, the great Frank Lacey, yeah, the yeah. great trombonist Kumba Shabazz, Frank Lacey, uh was 
he had been playing in the band. I'd been listening to him. Robin Eubanks before that, uh, Delphio Marcellus before that, Tim Williams, mm-hmm. Bone before that. So Frank Lacey had, was in the band, and I had no idea he was still going to be in the band when, when my little behind showed up to, <laughs> at Sweet Basil. So it was tense, and that's kind of, as I found out for, firsthand, that's kind of how Art did things over the years. Maybe not in every case, but when he felt maybe it was time for you to move on, he just brought someone else in the band on your instrument and then just wanted to see what was going to happen. <laughs> maybe you keep your gig. Maybe you both stay in the band. You know, like, whatever. And so uh, I didn't say much that week. I, I was <laughs> scared to death. I was just trying to be there. And, and uh, I wound up staying for nine months. And Frank did leave and sort of uh, bequeathed the trombone chair to me. And we're, we're great friends now uh, yeah. and have been yeah. for years. But... You know, that was a little rough, you know. <laughs> now it's now it's funny, but I, I I learned a great deal in a hurry. Yeah. You know, and, and uh my first record date uh was Art's last. It's and the record's called One for All on A and M Records and that was my song. And being the new guy, we recorded for two days, Jeff Keezer, Javon Jackson, Brian Lynch, Essie uh, and Essie, Dale Barlow, great tenor player from Australia. So they had all brought music and they had all been there. And So finally, the end of the second day, Art just looks at me and he says, hey, you, you Steve, didn't you bring something? I said, yeah, well, go ahead and get it together then. So Kenwood Denard and Richard T had come from another s- session and an adjoining studio. Uh, and so he's kind of, you know, shooting the bull with them. We're running through my little song. And we're trying to get the harmonies. And then he finally says, okay, he gets back in the booth. He sits down. He says, let's knock this out. Let's go. And I kind of sheepishly said, uh, Art, don't you want to run it through? No, I got it. <laughs> so he had been listening the whole time. And we did one take. And... He put the thing on it, man. I mean, it, it's just... I, and so I remember thinking, you know, well, they'll never use this, and it was the last one, but at least I, I got to feel what it was like to have one of my songs played yeah, by yeah. Art and the Messengers. Well, lo and behold, uh, it wound up being the title track and the first tune on the record, and, and I I don't know how that happened, but it did. And um, So the band, One For All, with Eric Alexander and... And, and all those guys, Joe Farnsworth, uh, Rotundi, Dave Hazeltine, Peter Washington, now John Weber and myself, that collective group took its name from right. that song, which was not my idea either, <laughs> as I mentioned. That was uh, Joe Farnsworth's idea. Nice. Yeah. So. Well, it's, a, it's certainly yeah. a great name for that group, too, since it's a yeah. cooperative uh, group. It's perfect. You know? Yeah, 20 years now that band's been playing. That's so. awesome. Let's talk, uh, and thank you for sharing those stories. That's just amazing stuff, man. That's incredible. Um, let's talk about your return to heart. Now you come back as a teacher. You joined Jackie McLean's band. Yeah. And, and talk about that time. I know that was probably 92, something like yep. around then. Yeah, uh, exactly, to, and, uh, to 97, uh, I, almost six years that I uh, be, not only began teaching as an adjunct, uh, th- again, thanks to Jackie McLean, excuse me, um, but he put me in his band, and uh, so I was playing next to he and Renee McLean on the front line. Nat Reeves, Eric McPherson, who 
and Alan Palmer. So Eric and Alan and I were kind of the babies mm -hmm. in in the group. Uh, wow, we went all over the world. We played the Vanguard every year. Um, made made a few recordings. Uh, that was just like graduate school, you know. <laughs> And I often felt like after, I mean, having to follow Jackie McLean after he, and he was, he was in his 60s then. He was playing so incredibly great on such a high level. And it was fierce, you know. It was, and I, I remember many times where I would look across at Renee McLean and, and think like, I, I don't want to go next. And he'd look at me, <laughs> and now this is his son who's been playing with him his whole life. And he'd look at me and go, <laughs> you want to go next? <laughs> so I didn't feel so bad. So I would say, oh, okay, you know, and you had to do something. That's that's all I can say. Uh, but but Jackie really gave me uh, uh, again a lot of encouragement. Um, one time, I said something to the effect, you know, I'm, I just don't feel like I'm making it, you know. And what should I do? And all he said was, Steve. He said, Son, just just let go. Mm. let go and he said if you crack a note or you miss an idea nobody knows but you man you sound mm. great you sound man you love your concept you know just just let go that really helped wow. me yeah to don't try to be perfect another time we were at uh the rhythm of the earth uh rhythm of the earth uh recording date at rudy van gelder's and uh roy hargrove and i were concerned because he was a guest on the record that we had messed up some little passage in one of the arrangements. And so Jackie loved the take. So it was kind of a downer that here come the two young guys, you know, I think we might have, you know, and he's, ah, oh, man. And then he's just said, you know, this ain't no symphony, man. Don't get me wrong. I love classical music. You know that. But, man, this is the people's music. It's not supposed to be perfect, you know. <laughs> wow. just, 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 Just let me listen to the take kind of, you know, like. Don't 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 try to make everything perfect. Yeah, you know? and and that was very uh, liberating to, because he could be a, very much of a perfectionist in his own way. But uh, playing with Jackie helped me find my concept as as an as an improviser and band leader uh, in so many ways. Mm. Yeah, just incredible. Awesome. Um, you mentioned One for All, and I know that started maybe towards the end of that period, uh, yeah. right in 96, I think I read somewhere that you guys started that group, and how did that come to, uh, not, thanks for mentioning the personnel, and uh, how did that come to, to pass, and now you guys are still going strong 20 years later, 20 plus years later, right? Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah. that's, that's terrific. We, uh, I, I had met Joe Farnsworth uh, probably first, because uh, he's from Massachusetts, and um I had been in Hartford all those years, and, and he and Eric went to William Patterson. Um, anyway, Joe, Eric, and Jim Rotundi had been playing together for a while, and I just kind of fell in with those guys up at Augie's. Uh, oh, yeah, right, right. You know, which is now Smoke, Smoke yeah. Jazz Club, yeah. And uh, we just hit it off musically, uh, it, and, and uh, Jim and Eric were so strong with what they were doing, so I would just kind of try to find third voicings, and you know, again, no rehearsing, no music. Um, at, at first, it was just playing tunes like Janine and you know what, what, whatever, and, and just try to find some hip harmonies, and um, and yeah, it, and then then eventually Dave Hazeltine uh, started to play with us and 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 write, 
and that's why well, it really took off from there. Yeah. So Jim and Eric write, uh, Dave writes, I, I've contributed, um, everybody's contributed to the book at one time or another, but primarily it's been Hazel Tyne and, and Alexander and Rotundi and, and myself, and I don't know, we just kind of rubbed off on each other and, and uh, you know, musically influenced one another, and for some reason it, it just works. You know, that band is, there's a chemistry there. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah the, I, there's something about the uh, your your individual styles that, that it's not all the same thing. You know, like you and Leo, in the brass world, you and Jim are different, equally great, but have your own unique voices, and it just goes really well together yeah, from the listener's you. perspective. Thank you. you. Know? Um, yeah, it's wow. It's 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 a great band, and uh, I believe we're gonna uh, get back together this June at, at Smoke and, and do a weekend. Oh, nice. I don't know if we're going to record then or not, but hopefully I think we're going to do another recording sometime this year and and keep it going. Yeah. Keep, keep the ball rolling. Oh, we'll look forward to hearing that for sure. Another one that I loved is is your longtime association with the, the great Chick Corea, and I know you uh, just did a recording with him a couple of weeks back now. And uh, yeah. Tell us about uh, what it's like working with Chikoria. You know, I think oh. I don't know anybody who's not a fan of Chikoria, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what what how did that come about, and and uh, and how did that kind of uh, evolve over the years? Yeah, uh, I I met Chick in '97. Uh, I was playing with the bassist Avishai Cohen mm. um, in, in in his band, and Chick had heard him and and produced his first record called Adama. Steve Wilson was on that. Oh, okay, yeah. And Jeff Ballard and Jason Linder and uh, Avi Shai and an uh, Oud player named uh, Amos Hoffman. Oud and uh, jazz uh, guitar, regular guitar. So Avi Shai had some real great, interesting music um, and Chick dug it. So he produced the date. It was at Clinton Studio, which no longer exists, yeah. of course. But And... Uh, so I just thought, oh wow, cool! I'm gonna meet Chick Corea in a working situation. Mm-hmm. Like, that's great. That that's it, you know. <laughs> and uh, he was he was really uh, hands off. He did he didn't say a whole lot, but it, at this one point, he kind of came out with Avishai's score, and I, I it, it was so impressive how invested he was, and all these younger guys, you know, and he was really there for us and. Um, he comes out, he says, Avishai, can I have my two cents with, with the horn players, with Steve Wilson and me? And I was probably 30 at this point. Steve's a little older than me. and You know, we were seasoned and had been around, but we're still pretty young. And so he comes over, he says, you know, guys, I just want to make a suggestion. He said, now, when I was playing with Miles, well, that, that gets your attention, <laughs> as Jackie would often recount yeah. his days with Miles, the early days. See, so, you know, when I was playing with Miles, um, it didn't matter whose tune we were playing, if it was one of Wayne's tunes, if it was one of Herbie's tunes that was still in the book, if it was one of mine. It, Miles had a way of adding a note here, leaving a few notes out here, and within five minutes, it was his song. Mm. I want you guys to do that. Make it your own. Mm. Wow. He said that first take was good. The notes are correct. It was fine. But, you know, don't just, because it's Avishai's music, don't just play the part. 
make it yours. And I just, wow. Mm. Just don't take it for granted. Don't just punch the clock, you know. And um, J-Mac was very much like that, too. I, I, to go back to him for a second, he told us once, oh, this is, this is hilarious. I subbed briefly in Lionel Hampton's big band in 1991 and 93. In 93, I was playing with Jackie. So we're up in Hartford at, at J-Mac's house rehearsing. He didn't like it when you played with other people while you're in his band. He was old school, oh, okay. very territorial. Yeah. <laughs> So he had heard that little Stevie D thinks he's a hot shot and went out to Moscow, Idaho to the, to the Lionel Hampton yeah, yeah. Festival. That was that was the day we flew out of New York. Uh, the day that was the day of the first World Trade Center bombing. Oh remember wow! That? Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, and wow, man, How yeah. About that? So anyway, it was a great experience. At, at, at the reception, I saw Al Gray and Lou Rawls and Ray Brown and Hank Jones and and. Uh, it was just like, I can't believe I'm standing here, you know, in the of Lionel Hampton, you know. Anyway, I get back, we're rehearsing some music at Jackie's house, and it was somebody's tune, I can't remember, maybe the trumpet player Raymond Williams, who was in the band at that time. And so he said, okay, we played a line, and then he said, okay, guys, now right here, let's, 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 let's find some notes, like have it split off into harmony. So Alan Palmer and I thought we were kind of slick. We said, well, what's, what's the chord? It's C7 sharp 9. So it's a hip chord. Yeah. What notes Jackie playing? Well, he's, he's playing uh, E flat on top. Okay, well, Raymond, take a B flat. I'll play an E. Right. Cool. Yeah. And it's not like a, it's a cool sound and you know, sharp 9 voicing. Yeah. So we said, ba do ba do ba wah We hit this sound <laughs> and it, it was, it worked. But J-Mac, oh, this is priceless. <laughs> he says, yeah, okay, look, y'all, you know, this ain't Vic Brown and his orchestra. <laughs> you know, man, this is my band. So when I say let's find some notes, man, let's take a minute and, and find some notes. Then he proceeded to try every note, like all 12 tones, like a kid giving each note a chance. And even when he knew it's going to be wrong, but he was trying to, like, teach us the aesthetic. <laughs> wow. And he finally, I believe, he arrived at a sharp 11. So it was E, B flat, F sharp, which is actually great. It was better. So, somehow it, it was better. It, he, wow. it wound up uh -huh. being better. But along the way, almost out of, out of spite, in a way, he played some of the wrongest notes, you know, <laughs> just to prove a point that, you know, there's more to it than just the theoretical that, you know, it's kind of a mystical thing. So I, that, that's a funny story. And yeah. then, then once we arrived at the court, he, then he said, okay, now... We need to put some dark hoods over those notes, y'all. Put some dark hoods over them. Not Tenuto or Sforzando or, you know, some uh, musical, classical kind of term. He said, put some dark hoods over those notes and did a gesture. It was like, it was vivid. You wow, know? yeah. Yeah, so I, I'll never forget those kind of things. So back to Chick, this is a couple years later for me. When he, when he said that, make, make it your own. I, I instantly hearkened to Remind Jackie. That, yeah, yeah. That's a similarity awesome. there, you know. And uh, what this the project you guys just did? What uh, tell, can you tell us a little bit about that? Or yeah, that... yeah. Uh, it's the My Spanish Heart Band. Um, uh, it's very uh, much a collaboration or a, a sort of weaving together of flamenco, uh, Spanish flamenco traditions and 
and flamenco musicians uh, from Spain, and then, you know, a sort of Latin jazz uh, configuration. So it was incredible, man. Uh, the music's amazing. Mm, just bet. just amazing. So uh, Mike Rodriguez, his great trumpet player, is on it, and myself, and then, excuse me, the, the tenor saxophonist, is really primarily a flute player from Spain named Jorge Pardo. He's he's a flamenco okay. legend. Excuse me, he's in his maybe late sixties, and plays great tenor. He you know he he's a jazz player, but he's really a, a flamenco a flute player. I I think is what he's best known for. And uh, there's a flamenco guitarist named. Uh, Nino, and, and he doesn't read music, and I don't know how he's playing this incredibly intricate music, and just brilliant, mm. you know. Mm. Um, so there's that element. There's a flamenco dancer named uh, 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 Nino, and he's 33, and uh, uh, an incredible, uh, you know, where they were recording him almost as a percussionist mm-hmm. with, with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know in live performance, that's going to take on a whole more different significance uh, for the audience. And and then a, a percussionist um, from Venezuela named uh, Luisito. I'm just meeting all these guys, you know. Yeah. And uh, Carlitos, the bass player from L.A., mm-hmm. uh, Del Porto. And he's, they're all, every musician is incredible. Yeah, and chick, and then me, and I, you know, I was holding on for dear life at, at a couple points, <laughs> I but d- I doubt that. But <laughs> <laughs> but the music is just fabulous. Um, not a lot of solos. It's it's okay. more about playing the the ensembles. ensembles. I, there, there are a few, you know, uh-huh. you, you you get your spots. But oh, and one of the great things is Ruben Blades sang with us. Oh, I think I saw numbers. the uh, photo on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. And what an incredible guy he is. So. It yeah, it's it's a real treat. We're gonna tour Europe uh, in July, all over Europe nice. and do the festivals, and so I'm really looking forward to that. I need to practice this music, <laughs> get back on that. Wow, that sounds like an amazing project. Yeah. Well, let's shift gears a little bit, Steve, and talk about um, uh, your work as a leader. Now you just finished; it's coming out, uh, and you, we'll talk about it uh, at the end, just to remind everybody. But yeah. you're playing at uh, Smoke next week. Uh, yes, um, uh, the seventh through the ninth of March. Right. Okay. Yeah. So hopefully we will have this up and uh, get the word out as for on our side of things. Um, but the CD is called Correlation, and uh, Correlations. Yeah, Correlations. Yes. Yep. And um, but let's talk about. Um, I was looking. I have many of your records, and I and I uh, and I was doing some research for it and looking at it. You're up to now 20 CDs as a leader, which is a significant uh, career in and of itself. Um, tell us about uh, if you can. If and I know you're such a humble cat, but uh, if you have any that jump out at you, that favorite experiences that happen. Um, I was also curious for you with such a busy schedule. Uh, as a side man, and also as as you're in your role as a as a jazz educator, trombone teacher, um, how you keep your band going, and how you keep a working band, and yeah. how is it? I, I know that presents uh, some challenges, but I know it's a lot of a lot of a question there. But uh, but just talk us to us a little bit about uh, about your experiences as a leader. Yeah, thank you. Well, as, as you know from your own experiences as a leader, uh, it's. It's a challenge to to um, to keep a band sustained, you know, as far as just playing together, and um, never mind the economic side of it. But 
Um, you know, I, I'm really making an, a, a very concerted uh, effort to now shift my career to being a full-time band leader. This hmm. is what I okay. want to do. I've always had bands over the years and made a lot of recordings, but um, it's time mm -hmm. to really focus on, on uh, my own music and, and, and just... Just, just having a group or groups, a few different projects going that, that you uh, when you go out to play, you're kind of doing it a little more on your own terms. And and obviously, I I wouldn't trade any of the experiences you know that I've had as a side person all these years. It's been amazing, and and I'm and I'll continue uh, you know doing some of those things, of course. But um, the correlations band is really special because it's a, a little bit uh, intergenerational. Uh, two, two of the young, exciting players are drummer Jonathan Barber and trumpeter Josh Bruno. And they're former heart students, but they're they're on the scene mm -hmm. making, making waves, making mm -hmm. their name. And uh, Jonathan Barber has worked with Jeremy Pelt and uh, a whole lot of people but right now he's i think he's working with pat Metheny mm, a little okay. bit so good for him yeah and, and then josh bruno uh, has played with al foster he played with curtis fuller a little uh when he was just starting out when josh was starting out he's played in my band uh for years um you know he's he's busy and so those two are 30-ish very exciting players great friends and mm -hmm. and uh then Desron Douglas, the bassist, and Wayne Escoffrey on tenor, they also went to Hart years ago, and uh, they were uh, they they studied with with uh, Jackie McLean, and uh, so they you know both of them are very well known and have their own bands and have played with virtually everybody on the scene, and uh, so to be able to have them, you know, is musically great, and it's also there's a lot of Hartford connection, the J Mac legacy, but it's kind of spread out. And then, then myself, and then Xavier Davis, uh, the pianist, he's the only kind of non J Mac guy. But we'll we'll forgive him for that. <laughs> and uh, he's he's pretty good. Yeah, you can overlook anyway. it when you play like that. Yeah. And uh, now Zave and I go back. Uh, we we got to play with Freddie Hubbard together with right. uh, the new jazz composers octet. We work with Christian McBride's big band together and. Steve Turay and mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. the uh, Bones of Art mm -hmm, group right, right. a few years ago, and so you know it's it's it, it every the, the the correlations are numerous with yeah. with this group uh, on and off the bandstand, and uh, all I know is we we tried some new music last September and it just took off like it was just such a pleasure and exciting. So the record comes out March fifth. And we're gonna revisit some of that music, maybe even try a few new things and mix in some standards and just have fun. Yeah. Oh, and we'll have awesome. Willie Jones the third with us at Smoke. Okay. This weekend because JB's out with Pat Metheny. So. Yeah. So there's your yeah. challenge as a band leader. You got to uh, compete with Pat Metheny, right? Now yeah. <laughs> to well, get your players. You probably won't, but yeah. but I. But, you know, I, I think a, an important aspect of this is um, over the years, you, you develop a, just different relationships and with great players. So you have a pool of great players that, you know, I'd want to say it's interchangeable. It's not like that. I mean, everybody's unique. But to, to, to land on your feet with Willie Jones the third, uh, 
<laughs> You're good. All's good. Yeah, yeah. All's right with the world. That's yeah. a great point, though, and, and thanks for bringing that up. But, but, and that's one of the great things about being in New York is that you, oh, you yeah. develop those relationships, and the, and the pool is a very vast pool of excellent oh, players. And yeah, yeah. You, your first person that you called, you know, your second person is going to be equally good, just a little different, uh, you know, whatever it might be. But right. that's, that's one of the great things about, uh, about New York. But uh, just to remind everybody, March 7th and 8th at Smoke. And 9th. And 9th, yep. sorry. And yep. uh, Correlations, and it's on the uh, Smoke Sessions label. So yes. coming out March 5th, it's exciting. We're lucky we got you got you today here to, uh, to talk about it. So that's awesome. Can we just, uh, I want to throw some names at you that I love. I'm such a huge fan of all these people that I'm going to mention. But um, just like a couple of thoughts that you, uh, that your memories of working with them or, or experience that you've had. And uh, I'm just going to throw maybe a half a dozen names at you. And my all time favorite improvising brass player, but I, I love that you got to work with Freddie Hubbard. What was that experience like? Wow. Uh, it, it was great. Um, we, we became friends and which is, you know, to call any of the great musicians we've been talking about today, friends it's like you know when i think back to binghamton and have listening to my records my dad's records it really is it's a dream come true isn't it I mean, yeah that's it's, it's we're, we're incredible we're, we're pretty yeah. lucky in that way <laughs> to have lived all this life and and have the music be a way of life um but yeah freddie hubbard wow uh now he it, this is 01 to 08 so I, I literally played on his last gig, um, mm. as it turned out. Um, he was very much who he always was. He looked great. He, his, his personality, he was Freddie Hubbard. Mm-hmm. He, his playing had deteriorated somewhat in those years, or quite a bit, uh, unfortunately. And, but not all the time. Like He still had flashes of that brilliance, especially when he played flugelhorn. and. Mm-hmm. You know, he sat on a stool, and it was an it was an octet. So I literally sat right next to him every time we played for years. And at the Iridium, we toured Europe. Uh, we went to Japan. We played around the states. Um, yeah, it was it was. Uh, I remember thinking his his feel, his time, his sound, just his, the just the spirit, the essence of his playing. If I could play one phrase. <laughs> as great as what I just heard, that's it. I could just <laughs> retire. I mean, it was so deep. And we all just look at each other, even when he wasn't full power, because we got spoiled for 35 years of Freddie right. Hubbard playing superhuman amounts of trumpet, right. long solos. Like, nobody ever did that. Stretched out mm-hmm. like a tenor mm-hmm. sax player. He did. Yeah. And I think it caught up with him. Another thing too, it wasn't just the chops. It was uh, he used to shake his hand, and it turns out he had a spinal surgery eventually, toward the end of his life. It was a nerve thing; like his fingers really? weren't okay. lining up. Oh wow! Okay. It wasn't just the chops. He was having trouble with that too. Wow, interesting. And I used to wonder why is he doing that, but because he couldn't. Yeah, you know, he finally had it addressed. Um, it was just a little too late, yeah. unfortunately, for him. But so, uh, so great that you got to experience that. Another gentleman in a different realm was Cedar Walton. Oh okay. wow, yeah, Cedar. I uh, I got to do a few projects with him. 
with Eric Alexander, with Joe Farnsworth, a CD mm-hmm. called Beautiful Friendship mm. um, on Criss Cross. That was very memorable. Uh, and then a couple things that Cedar called me for uh, to play with Freddie Cole. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, a record called Merry Go Round. And Cedar did the writing, and that was an octet too. It was Lou Soloff, Blue Lou Marini, okay. Eric Alexander, myself, and Gary Simonian. And wow. he wrote for us, George Mraz. And uh, that was at Sears Sound. And, and, and then there was uh, another date with Vanessa Rubin. And okay. uh, um, so he, Cedar kind of pulled me into these projects. And uh, I wish I got to play with him more. I used to go sit in with him after that um, when, when he'd play trio or, or quartet. And, and we, we had a great friendship. And, uh, you know, believe it or not, he used to call me just to talk. Just call me up, you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. And uh, and I used to call him, of course. But, I mean, but but a few times he'd just call me, and I, st- I couldn't get over that, that, wow, Cedar Walton's calling me just to chat. Like, I can't even <laughs> believe this. And uh, so there's one funny story. In 2012, I'm playing Dizzy's with Willie Jones III with his okay. sextet, tribute to Max Roach. Uh I'm staying at in this apartment on the Upper West Side that I used to stay in when I had gigs in town because I lived mm-hmm. in Hartford then. And uh, it's January 17th because that's Cedar's birthday. And I'm, I'm getting, I just remember this so well. So I'm getting ready. The cell phone only got reception right next to the, w- the windowsill. Like he, okay. So I had perched it there. I'm like, man, I got to call Lord Walton. It's his birthday. I'm getting pulling on my pants literally, and I see my phone bzz, light up, and it's Cedar Walton seven one eight six three or whatever you know his number six three six I forget, and uh, Cedar's calling, so I thought okay you got to have your A game with Lord Walton, so I I think I'm pretty ingenious, so I pick up the phone and I said, Lord Walton, uh, his his lordship, uh, I I believe this would be uh, uh, as they say bass backwards. <laughs> for shouldn't it be me calling you on your birthday? So I thought, that's, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> Without missing a beat, he says, yes, uh, why, uh, Lord Davis, I was merely uh, employing the age-old tactic of the preemptive strike. <laughs> so just... That's great. You, know, <laughs> you think you might get him one note. No. <laughs> just see you. Just... You know, you, you, you could, it, it was not acceptable just, hey, Cedar, how's it going? You know, like you can't ha- yeah, have yeah. some B-flat. Uh, <laughs> had to have a lot of wit popping in there, you know. And he, he was one of the, the most intelligent, uh, just witty people I've ever met in my life. And and he was very, very kind. He was very encouraging and uh, Big baseball fan. He's a Yankee fan. I'm a Red Sox fan, so you know we bust each other's yeah, chops. Yeah, of course, right, right. Yeah, Cedar. Yeah, wow. And and I I continue to listen to his recordings all the time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think he's about as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. You know, on mm-hmm. the piano and just conceptually, just total mastery. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Horace Silver. I mean, yeah. it's um, him too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was that experience like? For, oh for him? God. Well, you know. Horace uh, Horace Silver was from Hartford. Well, he's from Norwalk, right up the road, oh, actually, okay. Norwalk, okay. Connecticut. Yeah. But he spent um, his uh, early formative 
years, a few years playing in Hartford and living up there. And, and we all heard about this over the years, you know, living in Hartford. And so when I finally met Horace, uh, I actually met him through playing with Chick, mm. uh, but with Origin, which was the band that came out of Avishai Cohen's band, what right, we were talking right, about yeah. earlier. And we were playing in L.A. because he lived out in L.A. And Chick, uh, uh, Horace came to hear Chick's band. And I remember he was at a sound check. Just Horace Silver, just sitting at a table listening to us. You know, I thought, wow, man, this is incredible. And uh, and he, he took my phone number, like old-fashioned, you know, wrote down my number and said he liked my sound. And he was going to do the Silver and Brass oh, again. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it didn't happen. But he did wind up calling me to play A Week at the Blue Note. Um, and it turned that it's kind of weird that that turned out to be his last public gig too, which oh, wow. which nobody had any idea because he was burning. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just classic Horace Silver. Right. Uh, the music was called "Rockin' with Rachmaninoff," <laughs> and he, uh, yeah, it's great. So when he, when he called me, he said, uh, "Yeah, Steve, uh, you know, I I I have this uh, this." Uh, re- this new record, uh, we recorded it in L.A. in the early 90s, but it never came out. So now we're putting it out. But, of course, he's using a New York band when he did mm-hmm. Blue Note. And he said, uh, can I tell you about the, the concept? <laughs> yes, you know, sure. <laughs> of course. So he said, you know, I, I had this dream that uh, I met Rachmaninoff in heaven. And uh, that, that, I, that when I met him, I, I said, hey, Rocky, why don't you come on over to the jazz side <laughs> And I'll introduce you to all the cats. <laughs> and then, so there's a tune for Louis Armstrong. There's a tune for, uh, I think, Sarah Vaughn, Lester Young. Uh, oh, I can't remember now. It's been so long. He, he, but, you know, all, all his heroes, Coleman Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, the Duke, the, the, the jazz icons that he grew up admiring so much. So... And then Rachmaninoff. Um, so he had all these tunes that were so great. And the way the music was arranged, it was quintet. It was Mike Mossman and Eric Alexander, mm-hmm. actually. So tr- classic Horace, trumpet, tenor. Then he had another tenor and two trombones. It was Conrad in me. Oh, okay. As kind of like harmonic voicings or padding, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the music was so hip. It was just so great. And John Weber and Joe Farnsworth played that week, too. And that wasn't planned or anything. It just, he, he happened to call all of us. So Eric, myself, Weber, and Farnsworth, one for all guys, we all got to do a week with Horace. It was pretty pretty amazing. And um, I used to ask him questions about Hartford and the Connecticut days. And he had one great story where... Uh, he was playing this place called the Sundown Club, which is way before my time, in the north end of Hartford. And uh, the owner came up to him and said, hey, uh, there's someone out in the parking lot waiting to, waiting to meet you. you. You should go out and meet this guy. And Horace thought it was about drugs or something. He said, no, no, I'm, I'm good. He said, no, go out there and meet this guy. I almost threatened him. So he goes out to the parking lot, sitting in the passenger door seat with the door open is Charlie Parker. With a stack of seventy eights, <laughs> just I don't know. So, and and his buddy, he was driving back from Storyville, Boston, one of those gigs. This is like nineteen fifty, 
51, okay. somewhere in there. And he was driving back to New York and probably stopped in Hartford to visit somebody or whatever he was doing. And so Horace asked him to, you know, come and sit in if he wanted to, but he, he, he never did. But he met Bird in Hartford. Um, in the parking lot. <laughs> and then Stan Getz came to town after that with Woody Herman's Thundering Herd. Okay. There was a place called the State Theater, again, way before my time, but... Uh, one of my neighbors years ago in Hartford used to always used to tell me about the State Theater and he'd go in there to hear all the big bands. And so uh, Woody Herman's band comes through. Stan Getz, one of the four brothers, he's a star. By that point, Stan liked to hang and find the jam session afterwards. So they said, "Go up, this kid Horace Silver's playing wow. at this club up in the, in the you know in the in, in the North End." So he kept coming every night. They hit it off. He told Horace, I'm going to call you. I got a gig in Atlantic City and then some things in New York. And Horace thought, ah, he's just being nice. Sure enough, Stan hired him and Walter Bolden, who's Desron Douglas's uncle, by the way. Really? Okay. And Arthur Taylor's great friend. He he passed away, but he's a Hartford guy and a bassist named Joe Benjamin. And Stan Getz is the one who brought Horace Silver on the scene. In New York, wow! And they did I had some, no idea. Wow. yeah. And they did some recordings with Jimmy Rainey, also. Okay. Quintet, in Boston and in New York, they're phenomenal. I mean, incredible records. And like you, I never put Stan and Horace together. Yeah, yeah. Necessarily. Think of, yeah. That's that. Yeah. Wow. And that's some Hartford jazz history. Yeah, there, that's so. awesome. Yeah. Man, thanks for all those stories. See, they're just great stuff, and uh, and so nice to hear about the, the the rich history of Hartford. You know, I knew that it was. Rich, yeah. but I didn't re realize how uh, extensive it really, really has been over the years. It's amazing. Yeah, I always get people writing to me uh, after the interview comes out. You didn't ask them about their equipment, you know. And I know you're not oh. like an equipment guy, but I have to ask you what. Uh, yeah, they, say, I, it, but it, if it, you could... it was on my mind. Actually. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Courtois. Okay. Oh, so you. Uh, I it's did not know that. All right, I'm glad I, I asked. Old okay. Faithful. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been okay. Playing Old Faithful. My. It's an old Courtois. Oh, it's the okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's the same when you've been thirty for years, a long time. Yeah, okay. Literally, November fourth of twenty eighteen was, th was thirty, 30 years. years on that. Okay. And I can't put it down. It's uh, you know, it's 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 uh, I got it used in nineteen eighty eight. When when uh, and that's another Jackie McLean story. I took Mister McLean. I was still a student, uh, senior, I think, at heart. I took him to get his horn repaired by Saul Fromkin, mm, mm -hmm. who who had a young apprentice at the time, Roberto. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, in Midtown, uh, of you know the famous uh, Roberto. Uh, uh, what, what's you know, what's it? What's the, what's the the it called? Well, oh, anyway. Michiko's. Michiko's and, studio and, yeah. and Roberto's Woodwind Shop or whatever. Roberto's Woodwind Woodwind Shop, I yeah. think, is what it's called. Yeah, so. Uh, this is a funny one, man. So Jackie gets his horn fixed. Benny Golson walked in. I'm a kid, just just mouth hanging open and watching those two. Hey, man, how you doing? And then Renee McLean too. That was a... so. At the very end, Saul says, "I got some Bundy clarinets and a couple, you know, student model trumpets and and a, a beat up Barry Sax for your kids at the Artist Collective up in Hartford." So I'm loading up my station wagon. You could still park in Midtown, oh, right, right. you know. <laughs> And I'm loading everything up. And then at the very end, he says, uh, yeah, and I've got this large bore professional model 
trombone. It's used. And uh, I, none of your kids would be able to handle it. It's a big horn. And Jackie said, well, this is one of my babies from the from the college. You know, this is Stevie D. He dubbed me that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Steve, you, you, you want to check it out? Sure. So I, I'll never forget. He opened the case, and it was like the singing sword, you know. <laughs> Oh, like, look at this thing. And it was in such mint condition. It was used, but I played one note. I played an E flat right there. And Jackie said, yeah, like warm butter. <laughs> and I played a few, I played for about five minutes. And Jackie said, man, you sound, that horn sounds good. He goes, man, you want a cop, man? Do you, you want to get it? I said, well, but Jackie, I, I, Mr. McLean in those days, I, I, I don't have any. Son, do you want the horn? But, but but I I don't have it. Do you want the horn or not? I said, well, yeah. Okay, Saul. He puts his arm around me. Stevie's gonna take the horn. How much you want for it? So now he's buying the horn after Saul just gave him a bunch of instruments. Wow! What a hustle! Like yeah. tremendous. And Jack Saul Saul goes like this. Oops, sorry. He knew what just happened, right? He says, Jackie, anything for you. And he says, kid. You got to promise me you're not going to make a killing on resale. This horn's worth fifteen hundred dollars. Have the kids send me a check for four hundred bucks when he gets back to Hartford. Jackie says, "Right, you're going to send the check right away, right, son?" You know, and and I walked out with this horn for no, for no money at that time. I sent the check four hundred bucks. Wow, still playing it. And uh, good investment. Yeah, <laughs> well spent four hundred dollars. I guess so. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, Shires get, gave me a horn several years back that that is they kind of designed it somewhat based on on my courtois and uh, it's a it's a wonderful instrument. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. you know, I I I, I still have that and um, need to be in touch with them actually yeah, okay. about that because yeah. because courtois I I've been a courtois guy my whole life. But I don't play one of their new models, but we're working on that. Okay. Um, so okay. that possibly I can uh, try one of their new horns soon down at the showroom. Okay. And and I would love to, you know, uh, continue that relationship, of course. Sure. Um, I've tried Old Kings and Yamahas and Cons, and there are just so many great horns. Uh, Rath, excuse me, Rath makes a great horn. Right, right. But yeah, it's been Courtois That's... for me. My my That's whole awesome. life, yeah. yeah, and it it's a large it's a large bore, large shank, uh, eight and a half inch bell. But it's the the bore size. I've had it measured with a caliper several times. It's five forty two. Oh, okay, so a little not, bit under not five forty seven, like yeah, right? And it's lighter. Uh, I use a Marcinkowitz five G okay. mouthpiece. Uh, slide hit me to that. Big, big equipment for for. Uh... A person with your facility and uh, oh, range. Geez. I, I wish I, I've never been a high note guy. Uh, if I'm giddy, I can hit a nice, strong high D. I've popped an E flat out in my life, and even an F or an E once in a while. But I, I don't, I can't afford those notes, man. I, 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 I don't, I don't hear it as a problem, Steve. I really don't. <laughs> yeah, I guess you pay your bills between B flat and B flat C. D flat, that's, you know, a couple octaves and a little, and that's about it. You know, that's a great way to put it. Great way to put it. Yeah. Well, before we close out, uh, Steve, just a reminder to everybody: um, correlations coming out on March fifth, March seventh uh, through the 9th is uh, uh, he'll be at Smoke, 
look forward to checking that out. And uh, thank you. I always kind of wrap things up, and you are the absolute perfect guy to ask this, especially I know with your son and uh, being a proud pop of a, an outstanding young musician yourself. Um, but and you have all your students that, that follow your, I'm sure follow you, what you say to the to the T. But uh, what advice do you have for the person that's sitting out there saying, "Man, I want to be the next Stevie D," and uh, oh, how, how how do I do it? You know. Good luck. Good luck with that. Um, you know, uh, I recently wrote a, a piece for Downbeat uh, for the Brass School. Okay. I think it might might be just coming out, and I've never done anything like that before, um, per se. But um, where I kind of address this, and in in a just to hopefully briefly, uh, the times that I've been in front of a room full of trombone players, aspiring jazz trombonists, and they're all sitting at desks, and there's no <laughs> piano there, and and it's 9 or 10 in the morning, and my first thought is, yeah, really swinging. This is a real swinging <laughs> scenario here. There's no rhythm section. like, And so, and they're all kind of hungry, especially the younger ones. They're looking at you like they want to take a bite out of your leg. You know, like, there he is. He's going to play high, fast, loud, you know. And I'm, I'm, of course, kidding, you know. But it occurred to me a long time ago to talk about this sort of an order of things to be a, a jazz player or an improvising trombonist, trombone is down the order. It's not number one. No, yeah. You're a human being, hopefully, yeah. every day of your yeah. life, unless yeah. you're just some kind of alien. And and so then they kind of look at you like, huh? Why is he talking about that? Like the younger cats especially. And so being the person you are will have infinitely more to do with how you're going to sound than anything else. Your equipment, your how much you practice, your technique, your harmonic knowledge. Yeah, yeah, all of this is part of our craft, and it's very important. But who you are, mm -hmm. are you considerate? Are you a good listener? Are you, do you have a sense of humor? Uh, and there's no one way to be. But if you're just trying to be a, a good, decent person and and thoughtful, and you know that will come especially as an improviser but also your ensemble playing like those sensibilities will manifest themselves through your mm -hmm. horn mm -hmm. no doubt yeah more 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 than anything else honestly and then second to me is are are we walking talking music 24 7 without the horn in our hands mm -hmm. can you just embody whatever music you're dealing with and sing it clap it and you just get it across so third and do you know something about the piano, too, is in there, you know, so you can kind of, when, when you do get the horn in your hands, you've got something to say now. And and as as an improviser, I think about this a lot. We kind of play piano on the trombone. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's, we can't play multiple notes at once. We're a single note instrument, multiphonics, okay. Right. That's cool. Typically but, single note, yeah. You know, um. But generally, we're one note at a time. But if you have a, a chordal kind of, you, you know, where you're seeing the harmony, then you get the horn and, and you, you can see it. You can hear mm -hmm. so much better. So you you got to know some piano. Mm -hmm. and, and uh, Plus, the piano is a drum. It's a, it's right. a very sophisticated drum, but <laughs> it, harmonically, you know, but, but it, it's so, so your rhythm... Uh, I would say to to aspiring young players, be a fan of the rhythm section. Mm -hmm. Really listen to the bass and the drums and the, and the piano. Listen to Cedar Walton Trio records, Hank Jones Trio, Horace Silver, 
Bill Evans, uh, Mulgrew Miller, God bless his soul. Mm-hmm. You know, who, whoever you're listening to, um, try to understand that what makes jazz music go is the rhythm section. And then my dream used to be, could I go to Bradley's and and just sit in with with Hank Jones or Kenny Barron, Ray Drummond, Ben Riley, and could I just sit in and not screw it all up? <laughs> just kind of just kind of flow in there or cedar and and I did wind up playing in in a, with Hank Jones too and oh man and so I I'm so humbled to even say that 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 I that I made a record with Hank Jones or Cedar Walton but because I don't know there's something about the uh the elegance of a great trio yeah, that's and, a good and, way to describe it. And then for me, if I could just kind of play with that sensibility and language and just kind of flow in there as a fourth member of the trio, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But, you know, then, then, then maybe I'm doing something halfway decent. And, you know, the, there are plenty of players who who play. Uh, I, I took my kids right here in Latham Park in Stanford last summer with my wife, Abana. She's a great vocalist and great musician and an ethics and social justice uh, 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 chair at, and a teacher at the Ethical cult, Culture and, Field. And there School. you guys are right there in and, the lovely wedding photo. Wife. That's yeah. awesome. And um, so we took my kids, um, Angie and Nikki, my two younger kids, who are, are also are both very musical, by the way. Angie sings, Nikki plays uh, saxophone, and... They're 17 and 12. Okay. Angie's 17, Nikki's 12. So we went to hear Trombone Shorty. Oh, wow. Right okay. over here. Okay. And that was my point is that he, he's he's an entertainer. I, I I love him. Yeah, I do too. I think yeah, he's I'm, great. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Trumpet, uh, singing, Sings dancing, is, yeah. you know, playing the trombone. And he can play the heck out of the trombone. Yeah. So that's a, that's a, an approach. That's a style. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, our, our colleague, the great Wycliffe Gordon. He's incredible. He and I are the same age. I mean, he's an incredible musician and trombonist and voice in the music. Um, just a different, a per, different style, but really, it's not. It's not that different. Um, I, Abana and I have been to New Orleans um, a few, a few visits in the last few years, and and Memphis as well. I I had never been in Memphis all these okay. years, and just to walk around. Uh, the, the uh, French Quarter to to walk uh, Frenchman Street in New mm. Orleans, or Beale Street in Memphis. It's it, I don't know I, I I feel like I'm in a little different place in my life where I'm kind of ready. I'm going back and listening to Tyree Glenn and mm, okay. Dickie Wells and Jack Teagarden. Who plays yeah. better than Jack Teagarden? Right. right. Nobody. I mean, <laughs> it's like air in his hands. Like yeah. it's just how he sang. I, I'm kind of trying to get in touch with that a little more i don't know that i'll ever be a plunger guy um my main influence is curtis fuller of course oh, yeah slide jj you, you don't hear it. They, they they didn't play the plunger or mm-hmm. chet baker or kenny dorham or donald bird or lee morgan freddie hubbard miles yeah but al gray clark terry <laughs> heck yes yeah. so yeah. I I I have the influence of that style, um, without maybe having to do it. Mm-hmm. So obviously, does does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. 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 
the thing that's always struck me about your playing and writing is is just what you just described the openness and you're the exact same person that you are as a musician you're just the open warm inviting yeah. and and like you said that really comes through in your playing i think that's like the best piece of advice you could you could get you know we all need to work on ourselves as a person, and, and yeah, that's going to help. Perfect. That's help. Yeah. That's going to help our musicianship at the same time. So it's uh, yeah. incredibly great advice. Thank you. Oh man, yeah. I mean, you got to practice. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. We, we've all have to do that and keep your keep your chops up, you know. But um, it's a big deal, you know. I, I the other thing too, Mike, is is to sing through your horn. Mm-hmm. Really sing, and you know that's where kind of the uh, going back a little bit in the history stylistically really helps to remind you of that. That um, I saw some footage recently, Tyree Glenn's playing Mood, Mood Indigo with Louis Armstrong. Excuse me, he was in his band. It's 1968 in England. Hmm. And Pops introduces him, it's his f- feature, and he plays uh, Mood Indigo. And oh man, it's just, God, it's just so soulful. He's singing. And uh, I think he plays Quentin Jackson's solo verbatim. Oh, is that right? Well, Butter okay. Jackson, yeah. yeah. And um, but the the control, the the lyricism, it's uh, it's a big deal. Uh, you know, Steve Turay uh, often addresses this uh, with so much integrity, just just to to play clearly and and uh, articulate. Mm-hmm. Steve always says that you, you've got to articulate it. You know he's he's right. He's right. He's he's uh, working next to him. Um, has helped me. Whenever you play next to Steve, you better eat your Wheaties. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, you right. know, I I, I I I thanked him recently because the first times I played with him years ago, I was kind of playing close to the mic, and he kind of got on my case about it a little bit, and right. then. I realized, you know, he's he's right. You you should establish your sound, and then the mic is just there to to help you when you need it. If the bass amp's loud, if it's a big venue, you got to use the mic, of course. But right. um, yeah, that's helped me. I think just become a stronger yeah. player over time. So that's I awesome. I kind of thanked him for that. I said, yeah, you used <laughs> to bust my chops about the mic, but thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, Steve, thank you, man. Thanks for taking time out today. And uh, and more than that, thanks for everything you've given to uh, the music in general, to, to our instrument. You're, uh, you are a beacon, and uh, you are like the people that you and I look up to. You're that person now that uh, we're all looking up to as well. So, uh, and, and I know how crazy your schedule is, and we've been working on this Likewise. for a while. And yeah. so thank you so much for letting us come up to Stanford today. And uh, find out more about your extraordinary career and um everybody check out the new cd coming out next week smoke uh this summer in europe with your career the list goes on and on uh, and we can't wait to see what you know continues to unfold for steve davis so thank, thank you michael thank Appreciate you steve it. thanks so much hope you all enjoyed this uh as much as i did this was one of my favorites uh, what a what an amazing experience and uh we will see all of you next time on bone to pick Bye.